So we're in Exodus, and we have kind of marched along through the first four chapters, and we're beginning the fifth chapter today, which is going to be an interesting, interesting moment for the story, for the narrative going on here in Exodus. And with that in mind, I just, I think we might resonate with this idea that there are times when we read the scriptures, and we, we recognize something within it. God in his graciousness reveals to us something true, and we see it, and we go, I, I need to respond. And so you get enthusiastic about it. Have you ever, you ever actually done that? Maybe it's to ask forgiveness from somebody. You go, oh my gosh, I realize that I've been frustrated with this person. They're in my church, and I need to go to them, and I need to, I need to ask their forgiveness. Or I, I had harmed them, and I didn't realize that. I need to go to them. It could have been something from a year ago, and you realize it comes to mind, you're reading, and you go, okay, or, or, or perhaps you, you realize that the Lord is, we say this regularly, but the Lord is, is moving towards this end where all the nations worship him, and that we as followers of Jesus get to participate in God's global purpose, and perhaps you have caught on to that in time, or maybe you took, there's a great course called the Perspectives Course, and you took the Perspectives Course, and you went, oh my gosh, what, what can I do? And so you're enthusiastic about global evangelism, and seeing, even from Spring, Texas, seeing what God is doing on the other side of the world. You're ready to share Jesus with somebody. And you get there, for example, and that person says, I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what you have to say. Have you ever, have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and, and you think you just did, you crushed it? It was the clearest presentation. There's no, it's a no doubter, this person's getting saved. You're just sure of it. And you get done with it and you go, they say, I was really just listening to be nice. I don't care about anything you have to say. And they just kind of shut you down. And now you're discouraged. You go, what? But I, I'm reading and I'm responding, and the result is not what I had thought it would be. This, it didn't go right. Or, or perhaps uh, a friend of mine, this actually happened. I said, I'd share briefly about it. A friend of mine left his church staff to go plant a church, which seems like a good thing. I'm going to go, and I'm going to leave some stability. If you're at an established church, there's usually benefits, you know, you have a salary, there's some stability, there's people, you're not worried kind of week to week what's going to happen, and so you leave kind of an established environment to go start a new environment, new church, you move your family, you go a few states over, and then within nine months, you get fired. You go, what in the world? I, I was... I was responding, I, I, I left comfort, I left security, I left, right, all that stuff that you hear, like, this is what you do, you step out in faith, and it's uncomfortable, and it, it makes you nervous, but it's exciting, because you're listening to the Lord, and you're responding, and so you go, and then nine months later, your elders say, you're out. The same people who said, you should come, nine months later say, you're out. Well, what, happened, what happens there? What, what a discouragement. To feel as if you're, you're being faithful and then to be met with resistance and discouragement and hurt and frustration. It, it, it kind of makes you, what you do in that moment, what do you do? You, you kind of go back to God and you go, what is happening? I thought we were good. 
everything was going right. I was reading and I was responding. And Hans always says, you know, be obedient to what's revealed. And so now I'm doing those things that Hans says to do. And everyone's mad at me. And things are worse than they were. We shouldn't be surprised by this, but we are. It's not shocking, but it still surprises us, even though we should recognize in those moments that it's not the result that is the most important, it is our obedience. Today we'll be looking at first run of Moses and Aaron pursuing obedience. God has revealed something. Moses knows it's going to happen. Aaron knows it's going to happen. And so they go before Pharaoh. There have already been multiple Pharaohs in the book of Exodus. Not just one Pharaoh. We just say Pharaoh because that's how the scriptures reveal him to us, a Pharaoh. But really he is this figure that is set up as opposed to God. That's why the name is less important than the fact that Pharaoh is standing in opposition to the true God. So from Exodus 1 to Exodus 5 to this point, we'll be in the first 21 verses of Exodus 5. We're going to see this kind of exchange between Moses, Aaron, Pharaoh, and how Pharaoh responds even though Moses is seeking obedience. Aaron is seeking obedience. Now, this isn't the most glamorous Mother's Day passage. It's, um, it's about things in the nation of Israel that just don't go right. And it's about the frustrating responses from both Pharaoh and the people. And how mad they get for Moses and Aaron trying to honor the Lord. It's about the nation of Israel, your own people getting mad at you, so on second thought, maybe this is a great Mother's Day passage. Life is hard, people will be mad at you, and you just got to keep going. So we'll see Pharaoh's response to God, Pharaoh's response to God's people, and then God's people's response to God's people, Moses and Aaron. So Pharaoh first responds to God, and then he has a response to the actual people, And that results in the nation of Israel coming back at Moses and Aaron. It's quite, quite the exchange that we're about to have. I'm going to read the whole passage to you as we begin. Afterward, afterwards, so now he's on his mission. Remember, he's headed back. Moses and Aaron, they're going to Egypt. They went to Pharaoh. Here's the moment. We know we're supposed to do this. God is with us. He's revealed himself as faithful. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take your people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. But essentially saying, back to work. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? 
The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go offer a sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. And that Pharaoh saying, Moses, you're lying. I'm not letting you go. Watch. Your people are going to see you as a liar. They're going to pay no attention to your lying words about being free. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. They had to go get little pieces and try and produce bricks like that. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmaster had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel, so the leaders overseeing the tasks, came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants this way? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, when they said you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them, and they came out from Pharaoh, as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Happy Mother's Day. Frustration at the moment of obedience I'm going to do what you've asked. I'm going to go before Pharaoh. And then by the time you're done with that conversation, your own people hate you. The Israelites are mad at you because you've made their life harder. You've increased, or it seems to be you've increased their burdens, their work. And so now, what wasn't an ideal situation, but at least was bearable, has become unideal and unbearable. Now it's just gotten worse. Why? Because Moses and Aaron are going before God and they're supposed to say something. So let's look. Remember we said Pharaoh responds to their God. He then has a response to the people. And the people have a response to Moses and Aaron. The first two verses show us the response to God. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron, they went and they said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. Verse 2, but Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. First response. The problem was a theological one, wasn't it? Pharaoh, who had a multitude of gods and was in a sense seen as the representative of their polytheism, their pagan worship. This guy, Pharaoh, goes, I owe no allegiance to your God. Who's your God? 
I don't care. Now, he is in this, at least in the culture, in that situation, he is coming from a position of incredible power. I don't know your God. He disparaged the name of the Lord. Now, Moses knew this was going to happen. The Lord told him, Pharaoh will not let you go. His heart will be hardened. He won't, you, people won't be sent out unless a hand drives them out. And so there was recognition already in the first four chapters that this was not going to be the easiest road. And yet he walks in, and Pharaoh, he played his part. I don't know your God. So the obedience is met with opposition right away, and that opposition is directed right at the God of Moses and Aaron. Now, I want to say to you, because essentially Pharaoh, if this is like your moment of evangelism where you go to somebody and you work up all the energy you can muster and you're ready, I'm going to go across, I'm going to share God's word with somebody. I'm going to share with them his message of deliverance. I'm going to share this. I'm going to be obedient to what God has said. You go there, and they say, I don't care. I'm fine. It really can be quite disconcerting. When that happens, because you're so confident that you're doing what was asked. You're so sure that you're doing the right thing. You know, this is what God wants me to do. And the person goes, don't care. Don't care, uninterested, move along. What a gun gut punch, but, but to the Christian, to you in the room who, who wants to obey the Lord, who hears his word, who responds to it. You don't need to be surprised if your obedience in declaring what is true is met with opposition. That shouldn't be shocking. The battle has been ongoing. This has actually happened forever. Obedience is always met with opposition. This has been from the fall. There is this time where, we're, where those who belong to the Lord, in a sense, feel as if they're warring with the world around them. It's not really our war, though, is it? The battle is the Lord's. Moses should know that this is going to happen, that Pharaoh's going to reject this message. In fact, in 421, he says as much. When you go back to Egypt, do these things, these miracles before Pharaoh, but I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. So Moses knows what's going to happen. It happens but it still can be really frustrating. In fact, you'll find like, Moses, who is like, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is in the New Testament. Jesus is there. He brings a few of his disciples to this mountain, and he is transfigured. He is the whitest his you know, clothes could ever be. No one's ever seen clothes that white. And he's there, and his disciples are watching. And there are two people there with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Like Moses is one of these guys who's there with Jesus at the Transfiguration. But Moses in the book of Exodus is the guy who's like, I don't think I should be this guy. I'm not the right one. Why did you send me here? Why did you put me in this position? No one is listening. In fact, next week we get to hear more of Moses' concerns about the thing that God has called him to. So it's funny because even though God has said this is how it will go, it's still met with frustration even by Moses when it doesn't go how, or when it goes how God said it would go. Jesus says it to his disciples like this. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. 
The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So even Jesus, roughly 1,500 years after Moses is in doing this in Exodus chapter 5, roughly 1,500 years after, what is Jesus reminding his disciples of? But when you're rejected, it's not you. It's me. And when you're accepted, it's not you. It's me. The acceptance of your message or the rejection of your message is not based on you. It's me. That really, for us, should be a comfort. Because we assume that it is our words and our argumentation and our forcefulness and our intensity that is effective. And it's not. It's not. So don't be surprised that you are rejected because it's really the Lord who is being rejected. They're responding to him. That's the first objection Pharaoh has. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? But the battle continues on through this passage. It isn't just right there in this moment. Pharaoh is raised as a shrewd political leader. Egypt is going to train up its political leaders to be smart about how to interact in situations like this. And the next move is smart, politically speaking. Because he doesn't just disparage the Lord, the name of the Lord. And remember this, because Israel has been in the nation, in, in Egypt, for 400 years, that Moses, just last chapter, has to go before the nation and do the signs and wonders. And since God's power is shown, and they believe then. So it's not as if the nation of Israel has just been like, man, we can't wait to be delivered, right? They're still now seeing, just recently, these, the power of God toward them. And so what does Pharaoh do? But he drives a wedge between the people and the leaders. That's his next move. And it is smart, because at least in this portion of the passage, it works. It works. So he goes like this in verse 4. Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Go back to it. The people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their burdens? So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you will no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks, the quota, doesn't change. You shall by no means reduce it. For they're idle. Therefore they cry, let us go sacrifice to our God. So what does the Israelite see? Not Moses and Aaron, but the Israelite who sees Moses and Aaron show up and go, God's going to deliver us. Watch. And the staff turns into a snake and the hand becomes leprous and then comes back again. And the water from the Nile turns into blood as a sign of the plagues that are to come. Like All of that happens and they believe. But if you're watching, all you see is Moses and Aaron go somewhere to talk to Pharaoh. They come back and all of a sudden you have way more work to do. That's what they see. So Moses and Aaron show up. They come back. And now their workload has been increased to the point that you can't even do it. I say it's a politically really shrewd move because he's now increasing their frustration and their labor and because Moses and Aaron are the ones who went before 
Pharaoh, well, who are they going to get mad at? Moses and Aaron. I tell you, it's really, really hard to lead people who are mad at you, who are frustrated with you, who don't actually believe you. Maybe you're just an imposter, Moses and Aaron, because you're not doing what you said you would do. We believed, we worshipped, we saw this, but now our life has been more difficult. And you know Pharaoh's intent when you look at verse 9, because you can read this. Let heavier work be laid on the man that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So this is where the PR machine of Egypt kicks in. Moses and Aaron lied to you. You thought that you were going to be free. You're not going to be free. In fact, I still have power over you. I, still, I can increase your work. I can make it harder. Moses and Aaron can do nothing. Now, we know where this is headed if you're familiar with the story. Like, we're going to enter into the plagues pretty soon. God's power is going to be demonstrated nine times. On the tenth time, it's going to be demonstrated in the loss of human life and the fleeing of the nation out, sent out of the land of Egypt. So we know where this is headed, but in the moment, you have a promise, but it's not happening as you thought. The plan works. Because the foreman, the one who are supposed to be leading the task, I think this would be Israelites who are set up over their own people to help manage the day-to-day task rather than Egyptians who are placed over the, you know, by foreman over the Hebrews. So I think these are actually Hebrews who are there over their people helping to manage the tasks. And what happens is they go deliver the message in verse 10. Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Verse 11, go and get your straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced. So what has to happen is the people have to go find little pieces, little bits and pieces. I think Hannah had toothpicks on the, you know, on the video, essentially. You go find little, little pieces of toothpick and try to produce the exact same thing. Go do that. They were scattered throughout all the land to gather stubble for straw because they were brought no materials. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmaster had set over them, were beaten. Why? Because they weren't doing their job. Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Frustration. We've already seen in verses 1 and 2, the Lord is primarily rejected. Who is the Lord that I should know, that I should listen, that I should let you go? You're just being lazy. But then we have here, not just hostility toward the Lord, but hostility toward the Lord's people. Frustration toward the Lord's people. This should be important for us to remember. Again, Jesus gives us warning of this type of treatment. Matthew 10, 22. And you will be hated by everyone 
because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You will be hated by everyone. I think sometimes when we read Jesus say these things and we look at our lives, we go, I don't, I don't know if Jesus meant it. I don't feel hated. I feel rather accepted. I think things are good. And then the moment you, you stand up or you speak or you live differently or you say, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to put that number down in the report because it's not true. The moment that you begin to make those statements and you, you keep your integrity and you stand for the Lord and you speak of him, well, then you start to realize that maybe you aren't as loved as you thought. Maybe people don't respect you the way that you thought because really they are rejecting you because of you, but really the Lord through you. But this, the flip side of this is true, and we'll see this. The Lord has already spoken about it in Exodus. Is that the, the, in the case of the, the Israelites, the greater Pharaoh works against God, the more powerful and magnificent the deliverance is. So with the, with the more hostility Pharaoh brings toward Israel, the more powerful the true God is seen when he says, watch. In fact, Pharaoh is shown essentially as someone who can stand up in no way to the true God. He thinks he's in control in this moment. He probably goes back into his little board meeting afterwards. He's like, man, let's see what happens now ready to, you know, pat himself on the back about the decision that he made and the frustration that it's bringing in the moment, the discouragement that the people have. I'll show them. He's probably pretty proud of himself. But in just a few chapters, we see something totally different. And he is pleading with Israel to leave. Because he cannot handle their God. So what seems like maybe for Moses, one step forward, five steps backwards in how this is going, actually isn't that. But something else happens. They reject, the Pharaoh rejects Israel's God. He frustrates the nation to drive a wedge between the leaders and the people. The crazy thing is, it worked. You see that in verses 20 and 21. They met Moses and Aaron. These were the foremen who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses talking to his brother Aaron. I mean, all I'm trying to do is what the Lord told us. That's what we're trying to do. And we're an ofer in this thing. Pharaoh didn't listen. Pharaoh makes life worse for our people. And now our people see it and they're mad at us. Now, 
when you look at a passage like this, and you, and you see it, and we're going through Exodus, one of the harder things when you go through Exodus is, okay, what, what pertains to just what's going on here? What's going on in time and space, you know, 1446? What's happening there? And, and what, what still is true? Not that it's not true, but like, how does this connect? Because I'm not going before Pharaoh. I'm not doing that. I'm not going before a great political leader. In the, I'm not doing that. So how, do, how, does this, how does this connect to now? How does this connect to, to my life now? There's something that gets revealed as time goes on. It's actually all throughout the Old Testament, but it gets articulated in the New Testament. In the Apostle Paul, a man who was rejected Jesus and then was saved by Jesus, he writes to a group of Christians and he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. He talks about something we call spiritual warfare. What's going on here that you are seeing is not really what's going on. That there's something more cosmic happening that God is working. And when we realize that the book of Exodus is a book that is demonstrating the power of the one true God in delivering his people from their burdens, his people Israel, when we see that versus the power of the false gods of Egypt, as represented through Pharaoh. When we see these two things together, we realize that while this is happening in a time and in a place, that battle is ongoing. The battle for men and women and children and their faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. The battle for churches to reflect him to represent him, to speak of him well and accurately and honestly and openly, to not shrink back from what is true, but to declare what is true regardless of what may come, to not be worried about life that might frustrate you, people that may harm you or reject you, or even at times when your own people might be mad because you're pursuing a path of obedience and it disrupts their comfort. All of that is still going on. All of that is still happening today. But it is important to remember this as people who belong to Jesus, who are saved by him, who are covered. As the book of Ephesians says that in him he has made one new man from the two, Jew and Gentile, that he has brought us together. And he is working toward a world that will be worshiping him, a new heaven and a new earth and the nations bowing down before him, that that is where he is headed that it is often so easy to get mad at one another while we are on that mission. In the same way, they looked at Moses and Aaron and said, you have made our lives miserable. May the Lord judge you for even showing up here. But Genesis family, we are not each other's enemies. We're each other's family. There's a greater battle going on. And we need to remember what God has promised and who we are in him. Yes, one thing I love about Exodus is it shows us that sometimes we're really up, sometimes we're really down, and that the Lord 
is steady and he's faithful and you can't stop him, right? It's just like trying to like latch a rubber band to a train and just go, I got this. You're not ending his purposes. You're not slowing them down. You're not harming them in regard to their ultimate fulfillment and their ultimate destiny. You are not doing that. But when we join him, we need to remember what he has promised and what he is doing. So that we don't get all caught up in what's happening in the moment in Exodus chapter 5. They don't go, like they, they, all, what have they forgotten? They forgot what just happened at the end of chapter 4. God has made a promise. God has shown up. God will deliver us. He's going to do it in power. By chapter 5, what are they like? Uh-uh. You ruined it. It took no time to go from, I can't wait, to when will this end? And what happened? Forgot what God had said he would do. That was no longer guiding them. What was guiding them It was what was happening in the moment. So Christian, he has called you to the ends of the earth. He's called us as a church to the ends of the earth. Genesis is but a blip in the history of what God is doing to create a world full of his image bearers who are worshiping him with all they have. As we go out, there is always a temptation to go after one another as we do it. To get mad at one another as we do that. Forgetting that God has actually called us into something much, much greater. If in 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 or, I mean, God forbid, 10, I'll say 10 though, that's okay. In however many years from now, the name of Genesis Community Church is no longer. But there are people worshiping a risen Lord because of the ministry of the people of Genesis. That's a win. That's a win. But a blip in what God is doing. What God is doing. We need to hold on to what he said as we do that so we don't get too up or too down. Where we never feel invincible, but also never feel defeated. Because the Lord's the one who's invincible. He's the one who's not harmed. We might get frustrated. We might get harmed. We might lose our lives. Nothing that hasn't happened to our Lord. Nothing. And so we hold on to what he has said. When he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. When he says, you will receive power, my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. He means it. When we're sent somewhere, he's already there. He's already working. This has always been going on. But we can't forget what God is doing. That he's been faithful. 
can't forget the destination that he is bringing us toward. A new heaven, a new earth, resurrected bodies that don't ache anymore. That don't break anymore. That don't end. You can't forget that Jesus saves people and has told us how life goes as we pursue obedience. They will hate you. They will hate you. Don't be surprised and don't be discouraged if you lose your home or your job or the people you thought were your friends because you stand true to what the Lord has said. Because he has shown us that that's what happens when we pursue a path of obedience. And there is a battle going on, but the victory is his.